Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. John chapter 12. grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it. As it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things to him. So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about him. And for this reason also the people went and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we pray as we come to this passage that you would illumine our minds to understand your word. And Father, as we learn from your word, I pray that we would not merely be hearers, but we would be doers of your word. Help us to apply this passage. Help us to believe this passage. Help us to live this passage, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. So just to settle you for where we are in the Gospel of John, it is the Sunday preceding the Sunday when Jesus would uh, burst forth in his resurrection. So we're a week out from his resurrection. Uh, On Friday, so it's Sunday, on Friday Jesus would be dead. Scribes and Pharisees, the chief priests will have, they think, gotten their way. So Jerusalem, as we have seen throughout the Gospel of John, is split by Jesus. Everywhere Jesus goes, he's dividing people, dividing homes, he's dividing the temple, he's dividing the Sadducees and Pharisees, he's dividing uh, daughters and mothers and husbands and wives, he's, he's dividing Time and time again in the Gospel of John, we've heard about the hostility of the the Pharisees and Sadducees, the scribes and the chief priests toward Jesus. They see him as a rival. Just recently when Jesus was lingering in Ephraim and then in Bethany, you remember, the chief priests and the Pharisees had put out an all-points bulletin demanding that if anyone knew where Jesus was, that they were to report it to them so that they might go and seize him and throw him in prison. And they ultimately, as you know, and as they have stated time and time again, and as John has made clear up to this point, they want him dead. They want him out of the way. 
They want the people especially to stop going after him. And so their way is not to convince them of any truth. It's just to kill Jesus. Let's just get him out of the way. Because after Jesus, after Lazarus' resurrection, right, many of the Jews were going away and were told they were believing in Jesus' name. So that last greatest miracle is is uh, leading many people to follow Jesus. And now, in fact, everybody, even in Jerusalem, is talking about Jesus and Lazarus. And you got to imagine that this high festival, this festival of the Passover, when the chief priests and the Pharisees are all getting ready to have their families gathered for this Passover meal... And the last thing they want to hear about is that the whole city is talking about Jesus and Lazarus. Look at verses 17 to 19. Right? So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb, so that there were a bunch of people who were at that event and raised him from the dead, continued to testify about him. And for this reason, also the people went and met him because they heard that he had performed the sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are not doing any good. They're arguing with themselves. You're not doing any good. And, you know, Pharisees bickering among themselves. And they say, look, the world has gone after him. The whole world has gone after Jesus. And the Pharisees are sick of this chatter, of this uh, following of Jesus, and they're just accusing one another of impotence, right? You haven't done anything to fix this. You haven't either, and you haven't either, going back and forth. And remember, Rome occupies the territory. Rome, Rome is occupying, and that adds another layer of complexity to this time. So bloodthirsty are the Jews against Jesus, that they are willing to work together with those they really hate. They really hate the Romans. They're not pleased to, to not be in charge. Right? They don't trust the Romans, but they make uh, common cause with the Herodians and the Romans. Co-belligerents they'll be if it means the death of Jesus Christ. And all, all this intrigue and hatred and tension is coming to a head. Again, it's Sunday, and Jesus would be dead five days later. And they'll have, they think, gotten their way if only, if only Jesus had stayed in the grave. Right? Jerusalem is at a fevered pitch, not only because of the tensions, but because of the coming required Passover feast. Jesus, for the final time, enters through the eastern gate of Jerusalem, through the eastern gate of his beloved Jerusalem, the place where his father's house had become a robber's den. He comes in not walking on foot, but he comes riding on a young donkey. Now, let's be clear about this. That seems to, be, to us to be a rather humiliating sort of transportation. We ride donkeys when we are on vacation and want to 
for some reason, trust the legs of animals to get us to the bottom of the Grand Canyon, which is insane. That requires more faith than I have, right? I don't even trust my own legs to do that. So when I was at the Grand Canyon, I did not descend down into the canyon. Um, it's beautiful from the top. Uh, donkeys with their obnoxious braying, right, are the butts of jokes. That's how we think of the donkey. That was not the case in the time of Christ, right? The, the kind of donkeys that they had in the Middle East were larger, they were stronger, and much more valuable than what we are used to. Uh, going back to the patriarchs, having donkeys was a sign of great wealth, Right? The kings of Israel had men uh, in charge over ranks of donkeys. In the book of Judges, in the midst of the song of Deborah, a great man's status is described this way, you who ride on white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets, sing. And so let's put away this idea that what Jesus is doing here is humble because he's riding on a donkey. Um, this would not have been abnormal for a ruler to enter his city in this manner. What makes the scene remarkable is the reaction of the people. Now, there are different ways that we can read this. The reaction of the people, right? The reaction of the people who start shouting hosannas and saying this is the king of Israel. There are different ways we can read this, and I'll probably fall where where you're not used to. Um, first, the response of the people could arise from a sense that this man who, is who has raised the dead man will come into Jerusalem and rip the city out of the hands of the Romans. Right? He's gonna, if he can raise a man from the dead who's been dead for four days, just wait till he, he unleashes that power in Jerusalem. ha <laughs> You know, everybody's like, whoa, can't wait. And so the palm branches are raised up in celebration of a victory that is imminent. The king has come and Jerusalem would be restored to her former glory. Read some history in the books of the Maccabees, right? The books of the Maccabees, first century before Christ. And you find that victors were celebrated upon their returning home with the rising up of palm branches and the loud songs. They would have seen this in Jerusalem before. But in the case of Jesus entering Jerusalem, he's not returning from a battle victorious. He's not coming in victorious. He's entering into the battle. He's coming up to the last great battle. He's bringing, so some thought, the battle to the Romans. But how could a man who has power over death fail to win this victory, they reason. So they are celebrating the fact that the reconstruction of Israel was imminent and Jesus would be sitting on a physical throne over an earthly nation. And so they're like, the king's here? Come on, king. Let's get to work. Now here's another way to read it. Second, another way to read the people's raising of palm branches and shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel, 
is to understand it to be a profession of faith, not simply a pronouncement of imminent victory. It's a profession of faith. They are proclaiming that he is the coming Messiah. Now, is that any different than the last court category? Didn't didn't the Jews believe that the Messiah would come and sit upon the throne of David and rule over an earthly kingdom? Well, yeah, but they may not have had a full understanding of the scripture and the teaching of the, the prophet Isaiah who spoke of the Messiah as a what? A suffering servant. A suffering Messiah, a dying king. Jesus had time and time again told those around him that he was going to go where? He was going to go up to Jerusalem and not to begin his reign, he already reigned. Jesus already reigned and has always reigned as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But rather, he was going up to Jerusalem to be tried, to be mocked, to be spit upon, and to die. That's what he told them time and time again. We read it in Mark today. Were there some there who were starting to understand this? Well, perhaps not. Look at verse 16. After the road is strewn with palm branches, the song of praise is sung, and the Messiah mounts a donkey, and the scripture is fulfilled. We read this about the disciples. These things his disciples did not understand at the first. They didn't know what was going on here. They had no clue why they were raising the palm branches, why they were setting them out, why they were singing hosannas. They just didn't get it at that point, and there they are doing it. They didn't comprehend the fulfillment of the prophecy. They didn't know what Jesus was doing or even who he fully was. And they didn't know it until when? They didn't know it until after his ascension. Okay, that's when they knew it. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done those things to him. So they're like, oh, 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 those verses in Zechariah, oh, 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 okay, okay. In other words, when Jesus was taken up to heaven, you read about that in the first, well, the last chapter of Luke and then the first chapter of his his second book, Acts. Then they looked back on these events and were like, okay, that's what's going on. That's the fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy from ages ago. We were there for that and we didn't even know it. Whoa, that's what that meant. Now think about that. Seriously, think about that. They didn't realize the significance of Jesus entering finally into Jerusalem until when? Until the ascension. Which means from his crucifixion to his death to his resurrection to his appearance to them after his resurrection all the way up to his ascension. They had a limited understanding of what was going on during that week. And when did his ascension happen? It was 50 days after the resurrection. They had a limited understanding of what was going on that day. Then when they see the Son of God ascending to sit at the right hand of the Father, then they understand 
This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Then they understand that his kingdom is not of this world. Then they understand that he was a crucified king who took away the sins of the, the sting of death, the sins of the world. Then they understand that he has a kingdom that will have no end. And they went about the world then preaching that gospel of the kingdom. Well, there's another, so that's another explanation. They just did it and didn't know why or what they were doing. And then another one is this. Others there at the Palm Celebration were probably just there for a fun time. <sighs> you know? They saw people picking up branches and shouting things, and they were like, hey, it looks fun. Let's join in. Crowds of people have a power that way, right? You've been swept up in the, in the activities of crowds before. And you end up doing stupid stuff, right? Undoubtedly, there were some there who were clueless that way, but likely not many because the news concerning Jesus had been working through the city, especially after Jerusalem, and so they had to have some sense, but, but they're just like, okay, I don't fully know what's going on, but um, this is fun. So, if even the apostles don't know what's going on here, and they don't know what they're doing that day, then it is undeniably true that this crowd of people really didn't even know what they were saying when they were shouting hosannas and attributing kingship to Jesus Christ. Which is to say, if you get my drift, that God can cause even rocks to cry out to him. God can cause rocks to cry out to him. God can cause what is hard and dead to sing his praises. And he will do it. The sun and the moon have to do it every minute of every day. They sing the praises of God. I see um, even the hardest of men praise him. I see this every time. I mean, think of this example I see this every time those of our leaders who love death and despise the image of God and man sing praises to God. Did you see how that went down recently? After passing gun legislation, the Democrats gathered on the steps of the Capitol building and sang, God bless America. Simultaneously, the release of the Dobbs ruling came out. Oh, and here are these hard hearts singing God bless America as God is blessing this nation and his blessings are rolling out in our land. And so God sometimes makes stones cry out in praise of him and they have no idea what they're doing. And that happened that day. Now, if we go to Luke... If we go to Luke's gospel and look at the triumphal entry, which this is John's version, we read about some interaction that took place between Jesus and the Pharisees. Luke 19.35 says this, They threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he was going by, they, spread, they were spreading their coats on the road. As soon as he was appro approaching... Near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen. Why are they praising him? Because they saw miracles 
Keep that in mind. Shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. It's like, oh, Pharisees and Debbie Downers. Rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. Same entry. Maybe the stones Jesus is talking about are the stony hearts of those around him on that day who had no clue what was going on, but whose lips were shouting hosannas and and testifying to his greatness and fulfilling the scripture. They don't know what they're doing, but God is making all those stony hearts cry out to him. God is making the stones cry out that day. They're clueless when they sing his praises. This event in Jerusalem is a little prelude to what will one day be worldwide worship service of the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen to listen to some verses that describe that worship service. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Does that really mean every knee and every tongue? Does it really mean that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord? Note in the Philippians passage that I just read that there are three groups mentioned that will bow their knees before him. And confess him as Lord. Those in heaven, we get that. That's the easy one. Those on earth and those under the earth. That gets a little more confusing. Um, And I take it this way. Those in heaven who who will be um, shouting his praises and bowing their knees are the angels, the seraphim and the cherubim, and departed believers. Those who are on earth, all human beings on earth, every last one of them. And then those under the earth, I take as all the damned in hell. Human, angelic, and demonic. All of them. Right? So, not to belabor the point here, but every created thing will one day bow before the Lord Jesus Christ and acknowledge Him as Lord. Every single created thing. That does not mean they will do so out of faith or that they will do so out of love. Some will bow because they, they are forced to. And some will confess because they see him in all his glory as they await their judgment before him. Some who long for his return will see it and rejoice and sing their hosannas. Others will give no thought to his return And they will be surprised by his power, without denying it, will ask for the mountains to fall on it, fall on them. 
Some will bow their knees in gratitude and love for him. Others will bow their knees in feigned obedience because they see his two-edged sword coming for them. Some will use their lips to express the love that has been poured out in their hearts by the Holy Spirit. Others will use their lips to beg for mercy with not a drop of love in their hearts. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Sounds like those are the apostles. The works of the apostles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And so what you notice in that passage is that everybody says, Lord, Lord. There's not a category of anybody not saying, Lord, Lord. So when that judgment comes, everybody is saying, Lord, Lord. Even those not known by God, not chosen by God, will say, Lord, Lord. And they will, on that day, acknowledge Him as Lord, but they will point to their works, which are devoid of faith, to save them. And it'll be so pitiful. So pitiful. So stepping back to Jesus entering Jerusalem during the week of His death, I think we see a microcosm of what will happen on the great day when he returns. Knees will be bowing, tongues will be confessing, and then Jesus will begin threshing. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. And he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So for now, on that day when Jesus entered into Jerusalem for the last time, Jesus' humility is on display, not, not because he's riding on a donkey. His humility is on display as he receives this praise from some who may have faith and some who may just be caught up in the moment with no faith. He is dying for the sins of the world and that death was his focus. But dear brothers and sisters, there will come a day when Jesus will return and that will mark the end of his forbearance. His humility was demonstrated in the fact that he let hard hearts even praise him on that day, but not so on the last day. There's no more time. There's no more forbearance. There is only judgment. He will not be mounted on a young donkey. He will not pass by quickly. And I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. 
And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That book, the book will be reviewed on each of us. And all of our deeds will be shown for what they are. And many will be saying, Lord, 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 did we not prophesy in your name? And, and didn't I go do this good thing? And didn't I do that? And don't you remember that, that mission trip I took to Guadalajara? And don't you remember how I said that nice thing to so-and-so who's crying and hurt? And, Lord, 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 didn't you see? Every tongue, everyone who comes to that book will be saying, Lord, Lord. It'll be a cacophony of Lord, Lord, Lord. Everybody saying, Lord, Lord, and the Lord will look in that book that's before him. And for many, there will be no good deeds found in that book at all because, it, because their works did not arise out of faith in the Lord. It will dawn on them that works without faith. Oh man, those are sin. And they will begin to get angry at Jesus. Lord, Lord. And maybe they'll drop the Lord, Lord, and begin to insult Jesus at their own judgment. Insist that the judge rule according to their fairness. And there will be no opportunity for repentance. And there will no longer be any forbearance of Jesus. Jesus will look upon Look up from that book, right? Look up from that book and we'll look at the one raging before him who is simultaneously giving God the stink eye and glancing at the mountains wishing they would just come and crush him down so that the gaze of the Lord of Lords would, would not be on them anymore and he will then pronounce those words that will be the most devastating words ever pronounced and he won't do so out of anger or because he's enraged. He's just being just. He'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me. Depart from me. Forever. Be gone. But like those people there on the day Christ entered into Jerusalem, there is still time. There's still time for you to not just mouth, Lord, Lord, but to truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. To believe in Him, right? To live for him, to do all that you do for his glory. There is still time. 
there's still time for each of you. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end while it is said today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, let us fear If while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed we have had good news preached to us, just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. You have heard the word about Jesus Christ. You've heard it today. He is a hiding place to those who believe in him. Unite your hearing with faith while you have time. You are currently living with his kindness and patience as a covering. You're living with his kindness and patience as a covering. But that time will come to an end. What will be the meaning of your Lord, Lord? What will be the meaning of your Lord, Lord? When you stand before God, how will that Lord, Lord be heard by Jesus Christ? Will it smack of feigned obedience? Will it sound like hostility? Or will it sound like humble faith? Will it sound like, save me, Lord Jesus. Save me. You are all my good works. Save me.